0: Uh, this is the final sermon in the uh, Seven Deadly Sins series, so this is the one on pride. We have, throughout the season of Lent, over the last six weeks, we have declared war on gluttony and sloth, on greed, lust, envy, and anger, and now we come to the, the greatest sin of them all, pride. Our text is Proverbs sixteen. Verse 18, Proverbs 16, verse 18. I'll read it to you, but I would guess that even if you're not a Bible reader, you heard this proverb before. Proverbs 16, verse 18 reads Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The point of this proverb is clear, and it's stated twice in a typical Hebrew poetic way. The point is this, pride destroys. Pride destroys. I'd like to consider our text under three headings. Number one, we'll look at how pride destroys us. Number two, we will look at how our pride destroyed jesus on the cross and finally we will look at how jesus because of what he has done on the cross can destroy our pride so pride destroys our pride destroys jesus and jesus can destroy our pride so what is it what is pride it is preoccupation with ourselves pride is self-centeredness it is self-fixation. It is self-obsession. It is self absorption. Notice the theme of self throughout all these words. Pride is simply when we're thinking too much about ourselves. Timothy Keller says spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. Notice without God, it's crucial. When we think about ourselves, we do it at the expense of God. Ultimately, pride is idolatrous, meaning it's about worship. It's about worshiping something or someone other than God. Because pride envisions our life without God. It is wrong to put yourself in the center because only God is supposed to be in the center. God rightly occupies the central part in this creation and in our lives. And so when we put ourselves in that position, we replace God with ourselves. By focusing on ourselves, we exclude God from our lives. Dorothy Sayers says, In one way, there's so much to say about pride that one might speak of it for a week and not have done Yet in another way, all there is to be said about it can be said in a single sentence. It is the sin of trying to be as God. It is the sin that proclaims that man can produce out of his own wits and his own impulses and his own imagination the standards by which he lives, that man is fitted to be his own judge. Pride is simply taking God's place. It's removing God from the throne and climbing in it ourselves. This is why the sin of pride is the deadliest of them all. This is why pride is the mother of all sorts of other sins. Now, I don't have time to develop various aspects of pride. And we, by the way, we talk about pride pretty often at church just because it's such a big deal. But I want to mention just just two ways in which pride expresses itself. You can be proud by focusing on yourself and praising yourself. We can be proud by simply thinking that we are better than we are. We can praise ourselves, exalt ourselves, elevate ourselves over others, consider ourselves better than everyone else. That's what we typically think pride is. You just think better of yourself. But this attention and absorption with yourself can also be expressed in judging yourself. You can blame yourself for what you've done. You can focus on your negative qualities. You can pity yourself. All those things, they don't exalt you necessarily, but they still occupy you with yourself. And so whatever the form of preoccupation that you have, if it is, in fact, thinking about yourself and placing yourself at the center, it is pride. And it's just as deadly. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself, but if you think about yourself, and if that's what, what consumes you, if you walk into the room and you're thinking about yourself and how others perceive you, whether negatively or positively, it is pride and it is deadly. Whether we judge ourselves to be good or bad, righteous or wicked, we fulfill the role of the judge, and thus we assume the throne which belongs to God alone. Whenever we are preoccupied with ourselves, we are dealing with the sin of pride. C.S. Lewis famously said that humility is not thinking less of yourselves, but thinking of yourselves less, meaning that pride is not necessarily thinking more of yourself, but it's simply just thinking about yourself all the time. It's our focus on ourselves that is the problem and the essence of pride. Now, if that's what pride is, why does Scripture say that it destroys? Why is it that if we focus on ourselves, if I occupy my mind with myself, if what I think about is me, why is that so destructive to us? Well, I'll give you two reasons. Number one, pride is destructive because it goes against the way this creation is supposed to work. Pride is destructive because it goes against the way this creation is supposed to work. It simply does not match the reality in which we live. When we place ourselves at the center we try to force ourselves into a position that is not ours. We don't belong there. This world has not been designed to revolve around us. When I was teaching my older girls to drive, which is very recent and fresh in my mind, <laughs> I, uh, I gave them one rule. And I find myself... Reciting that rule to myself as often as I do it to them because I really think that's the key To good driving and the rule is simply don't get cocky Don't get cocky when you drive and I know that because when I drive and I think that my reflexes are cat-like and I can take that corner without slowing down and certain rules of the road just don't apply to me I'm really setting myself up for an accident. When I drive by overestimating my capabilities, what I'm doing is I'm saying, yes, this is a reality in which I live, but it doesn't matter to me because I'm going to construct my own reality in which I'm going to be at the center. So nothing's gonna, nothing bad's going to happen to me because I'm at the center of this reality. But of course, it's not true. Nobody else on the road agrees with me. Just because I have decided to place myself at the center, that doesn't mean I've changed the way things work. And things work a certain way. And whether I agree with it or not, it doesn't change the reality of driving. And so for me, I, I often pull out of the driveway and think, don't get cocky. Because I know when I overestimate my own abilities, there's a great danger that I will get into an accident. The tragedy of pride is that the more we focus on ourselves in search of our own significance, the less significant we become. The more we focus on ourselves, the less we fulfill our role in creation. One writer says, far from finding fulfillment, the self turned in upon itself loses itself in the emptiness of its own meaninglessness. And the emptier the self is, the more obsessed with the self we become. And the more obsessed with the self we are, the emptier the self becomes. This is the deception of pride. It's a very deceptive sin. Because we think that if I focus more on myself, I will do more and I will be better. But in fact, focusing on yourself empties yourself of significance and meaning. It doesn't make your life more fulfilling. It makes your life less fulfilling. Why? Well, you're going against the way this world is set up. And so by focusing on myself and putting myself at the center, I'm saying, I'm going to create my own world, but it doesn't work. That's why scripture says that pride goes before destruction. Because when we try to force ourselves into a position that is not designed for us, of course, we're going to mess it up and get hurt. But the second reason why pride is destructive is because it goes against the creator. Not only does it go against the way creation is set up, but it goes against the creator himself. God is the right focus of his creation. The way this this is designed, it's designed around God. It's designed with God at the center. And so when I say I'm going to take your place, God. I'm going directly against him. God is the right judge and so I can't judge myself or others. God is the right ruler so I can't rule my life or the lives of others. God does not tolerate threats to his supremacy. Pride is treason. That's what it is. It's treason. It's us saying, I'm going to I'm going to usurp God's authority and I'm going to take his throne. Now, whether we do that consciously or not, but whenever we, we occupy our thoughts with ourselves and place ourselves at the center of reality, we're excluding God from his rightful place. That's why scripture says that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. There is there's an active opposition from God to anybody else who would take his throne. Dorothy Sayers again says, pride places man instead of God at the center of gravity and so throws the whole structure of things into the ruin called judgment. God's judgment is the only reasonable response to our pride. So pride is destructive because we're going against the way this is set up, And so it can't work. It's going to bring destruction naturally. But it's also destructive because we're going against God who set it up in a certain way. And so we're opposing him, and of course, he's going to push back. He's going to oppose us. Pride goes before destruction because our life can't be lived with us at the center. We cannot usurp God's rule and hope that he doesn't notice. That's the destructiveness of pride. Our pride doesn't only bring destruction to us. It brought destruction to Jesus. On this Good Friday, we contemplate the cross of Christ, and the big question that should be on our minds is why did Jesus, the perfect God-man, have to die? Why why, Why did he have to die? As you read the Bible, and hopefully you've been following the what happened in the last week of Jesus's life on earth and going through various passages and seeing how that week unfolded. And if nothing else, you should walk away from those readings thinking this, this must happen this way. There's, there's a feeling of everything being, uh, being driven towards this point in time when he is put on the cross. That it's not accidental. It could have been prevented many times and yet Jesus chooses to die, willingly laying his life for us. Why? Well, Scripture tells us that Christ died for our sins. The reason for his death is our sin. It means that because we are sinful, because we are proud, Jesus had to die. Our pride went before his destruction. Our haughty spirit before his fall. When Jesus died he experienced the disintegration of the creation with us at its center. That's why when you read the accounts of his death, there are earthquakes and darkness falls and there's, there's chaos. There's something that's happening and the world is falling apart. It's a symbolic representation that creation itself cannot function with our sin. It can't function with us at its center. The cross of Jesus shows us what happens with, when pride is not dealt with. The world falls apart. The cross shows us the humiliation to which human pride leads. I, I, was, I was reading in Luke the account of Christ's crucifixion this morning, and, and it struck me that the reason, at least in that narrative, that is given for Jesus' death, his in his arrest, is that everybody thought he was pretending to be king. That the charge was, here's this guy who pretends to be king. And ostensibly, that's why he was sentenced to death, because any pretender to the throne, whether it's the throne of Israel or it's the Roman throne, is to be sentenced and put to death. But isn't that what pride is? pretending to be king. And we do that all the time. That's why Jesus died. For all the pretenders to the throne. For all the people who are proud, all the people who make themselves to be king. The cross shows us the awful end of such pretending. When Jesus died, he also experienced the judgment of God on all those who attempt to take his throne. In one of the passages we read earlier in the service, scripture tells us that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord put our sins upon Jesus and punished him in our place. See the destined day arise, see a willing sacrifice. Jesus, to redeem our loss, hangs upon the shameful cross. Jesus, who but you could bear wrath so great and justice fair? Every pang and bitter throw, finish in your life of woe. The cross of Jesus shows us the awful judgment of God on our pride. Jesus experienced destruction because of our pride. So how do we overcome this awful awful sin. The cross of Christ, who is the sacrifice for our sins, is the only thing that can destroy our pride. If pride is preoccupation with ourselves, humility then is self-forgetfulness. Humility is self-forgetfulness. It's a great definition of humility, because it doesn't deal with how I see myself. It just deals with the fact that I can't stop looking at myself. And so what I need to do is I need to break out of my own head and I need to break out of my own heart and I need to stop putting myself at the center. That's what I need to do to be humble. But how do I get there? Humility is self-forgetfulness. I like the way Tim Keller describes this state of humility. He says, gospel humility is not needing to think about myself. The truly gospel humble person is a self-forgetful person whose ego is just like his or her toes. It just works. It does not draw attention to itself. The toes just work. The ego just works. Neither draws attention to itself. Wouldn't you like to be in that state where you can simply let go of your ego and not worry about what other people think about yourself? When you walk into the room, you're not worried how others perceive you, you're not trying to position yourself in the best light, you're not beating yourself up about all your failures, don't you want to just forget about yourself, at least for a little bit, and live your life the way you're supposed to live, and occupy the right place in this creation before others and before God? That's humility. And that is exactly how God made us, except that we lost it when we tried to usurp his authority In the garden. So, how can we forget about ourselves? The sacrifice of Christ helps us forget about ourselves in two ways, and I'll finish with these two thoughts. Number one, the cross shows us that we are not worthy of all the attention we give ourselves. See, first, we have to deconstruct this idea that I am the proper object of my attention. And the cross breaks us out of that. The cross of Jesus destroys our wrong view of ourselves by showing the immensity of our sin. We can't think too much about ourselves at the foot of the cross. Listen to to one uh, preacher. He says, Those who see the cross rightly see themselves rightly. We see him on the cross and we see our sin. The cross reveals what we deserve from God. We cannot receive the grace of Christ apart from seeing and embracing the undeserved disgrace of Christ. The cross decimates our proud pretensions and our smug, self-righteous sense of rightness before and even above God. The cross crushes us because it reveals the true nature of sin, its wickedness, And gravity. It testifies to the greatness of our evil. If we were a little wicked, then there could be a small sacrifice. The immensity of the sacrifice, however, tells the immensity of our sin. John Stott says Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin that I am bearing. Your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history of the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have an inflated view of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. For us, to successfully battle pride, we need to look at the cross and see ourselves in view of what Jesus has done for us. Because we have a warped, wrong view of who we are and how much we're worth. And so we think we deserve all the attention we can give ourselves, but in fact, we don't. And when we see the immensity of our sin, we're able to think about something else and say, maybe just maybe, I am not worth all the time I am spending on myself. The second way in which the cross helps us deal with pride, the cross shows us that God is worthy of all the attention we can give him. First, it exposes that we are not worthy of all the attention we give ourselves, but then secondly, it it tells us that God is worthy of all the attention we can give him. It destroys not only the wrong view of ourselves that we have, but also the wrong view of God by showing the immensity of his glory. We won't think about ourselves too much because we will be busy thinking about God at the foot of the cross. There is tremendous power in the cross because it shows us who God is. And it shows us how beautiful and glorious he is and it naturally draws our affections towards him. We will forget about ourselves because of the glory of God that is revealed on the cross of Christ. The God who humbled himself to the point of death to save the proud. The God who took my sin so I can be forgiven. The God who died so I can live the God who loves sinners and pardons rebels, when my focus is on the glory of the cross of Christ, how can I be proud? How can I be proud when I see God through the lens of the cross? How can I be preoccupied with myself when I see what God has done for me in Christ? We're going to spend the rest of our time contemplating Focusing on the cross. We're going to sing songs. I'm going to give you time at the end of the service to confess your pride and to seek forgiveness and to seek help at the cross. But I'm going to encourage you now to refocus your attention away from you and towards the cross and let the cross heal you of your pride. Let the cross work on your heart. Open yourself before God and pray that the Holy Spirit would work in you, release you from this preoccupation with yourself.